I don't know everything that love is, but I know what it isn't. And I can't walk down the aisle and say I do when I don't. And that was the moment that I shattered what I thought was the paradigm of the good girl that I had worked so hard to create. Hello, and welcome to Enough, the podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Leto. This show is a mashup of inspiration and exploration around what gets in the way of us feeling good enough. If you're a leader whose life looks shiny and together from the outside, but inside your inner critic assures you that you are one hot mess, this podcast is for you. It's time to own your worth quirks, foibles, imperfections, and all. Welcome to Enough. When Luisa Milano was a teenager, she was told by her Pentecostal pastor that she'd been chosen by God to marry a member of the congregation a man 18 years her senior. At first, she was honored to be chosen, but as the date approached, she couldn't go through with it. I remember sitting there going, okay, I've achieved this good girl milestone and something's missing. I don't, I don't think I love this man. When her parents were at church one evening, Louisa ran away and little by little, she built a life free of the strict rules that she'd grown up with. And I didn't have to be the good girl anymore, but yet I still found myself wanting to be the good girl outside and the real world. It just, I call it, you know, I wasn't running on the same hamster wheel anymore, but I was still running on a hamster wheel. It was just a different color. Nowadays, Luisa is a business mentor and mental health advocate. In this episode, she shares her powerful technique of consciously creating her reality to get off that different color hamster wheel, she mentions. Our old habits, beliefs, and conditioning are always available to us. They never go away. It's not something we get over. What's really cool about this conversation is witnessing Luisa creating an alternative reality to live into, day by day, sometimes breath by breath and she'll show you how to do it too. I drop us right into the conversation, asking her to share what it was like being little Louisa. Ready? Let's roll. I grew up in a Pentecostal household from the age of four. And for those at home going, what the heck is Pentecostal? It's a very, very strict, foundational religion. We don't, don't cut your hair. You don't wear makeup. You don't show your elbows. You don't show your knees. Women are meant to be seen and really not heard. And that was the backdrop of my childhood. And for anyone that knows me, I'm the opposite of meant to be of seen and not heard. And so it was very tough wanting to please and to be the good girl and 
do as I was told against that backdrop where I never quite felt fully expressed. I never quite felt enough and I never felt seen. And that became my identity. That became who I thought I was and it suffocated my spirit. Can you make that real for us? I'm imagining you as a small child and help us put a little bit of color onto the black and white lines that you've drawn there before. Can you think of an example when you have a memory of needing to be the good girl? So the thing that comes up the strongest is, as I shared, I was raised Pentecostal and at about 17. So this was the, the, the backdrop of, of, my, of my childhood. And at 17, God spoke to the pastor and the pastor announced to the congregation that God had spoken to him and had shared with him that I was to marry a member of the congregation. And at the time, it felt like such an honor. Like, I've been such a good girl that nobody had been in the years and years and years of being a Pentecostal. I had never seen a pastor, any one of my pastors share that God had spoken to him and that I was to marry a member of the congregation. I'm like, God spoke to our pastor and he chose me to marry this man. What an honor. I have been a good girl. Like I got my good girl merit badge. And the, the man was 18 years older than me. And I was 17, so I, I, I literally wasn't legal, right? So we dated in air, air fingers and air quotes for a year with chaperones and all of this. And I was like, I remember sitting there going, okay, I've, I've, I've achieved this good girl milestone and something's missing. I don't, I don't think I love this man. And I essentially, for the better part of that year, prayed to God and said, if I'm supposed to marry this man, I, 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 I need you to plant love in me because if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with him, I want to love him. And long story short, two weeks before the wedding, everything was ready to go up to and including the pre-wedding bridal shower. And I sat down and I told my parents, I can't do this. I, and with so much shame, because here I was, my perception of my life up to that point was that I had earned this right. And yet I didn't love the man. And I sat down with my mom and dad and said, I don't know everything that love is, but I know what it isn't. And I can't walk down the aisle and say I do when I don't. And that was the moment that I shattered 
what I thought was the paradigm of the good girl that I had worked so hard to create. And what I was really doing was shattering the illusion of what a good girl should be. Take us to that place of what happened for you once you stepped out of that? So I often refer to my years of childhood and my teenage years as living under a rock because I didn't go, I didn't grow up going to the movies. I didn't grow up. My first concert was at 30, right? And at 18 and a half, when I sat down my parents and said, I can't do this. And I say this with so much compassion for my parents, because that is what was true for them at the time. It's what, what felt like their real experience that I brought shame. So not only was I no longer going to be the good girl because I was saying no to the church, no to the community, no to God, no to my family, like shattering the paradigm of what a good girl should be that I had worked so hard to curate, but I had no idea what to do, where to go, how to even begin to take a step into a direction of something new, because that was so much all I had known. And I remember when I told my parents that in the days that followed, they would, they could barely speak to me because I had brought such disgrace to them because they had to go now and face the music. I said, I don't want to go to church. It was almost like the day that I said, no, I'm not doing this was the day that I felt freedom to begin to create something new because all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not going to church. You guys can go to church. I don't, I'm not going to go to church. Now, why I didn't want to go to church was because I was too embarrassed and I didn't want to go and face the music. I was like, I'm just going to hide. Like I'm 18. And all I know is I don't want to get married. And everybody expects me to be getting married to this guy. And no, I'm not going to church. And my parents were like, okay, I guess we're not going to force you. And I'm like, wait a second. They're not going to force me. Wait a second, on this, on the other side of shattering this paradigm of perfectionism, there's all this freedom. Holy cow. Two weeks went by and things didn't get any better. And I at the time said, I can't stay here anymore. I can't, I brought shame to my family. I've, you know, I don't want to go to church. I had no desire to go back to church at all for the foreseeable future. And I remember, I'll never forget, there was, um, I don't even, they don't, this doesn't exist anymore, but it was a um, sort of like a little mini newspaper called the Penny Saver. And they had like ads and, you know, you could sell cars and there were rooms for rent. And I found a gal at Cal State Fullerton who was renting a room and I circled, I circled a few, called, this one worked out. She's like, yeah, I've got a room. It's a two bedroom apartment. We have to share a bathroom. And I was like, I could afford it. I had a car, I had a job. And I thought I was like, I'm like, I got this. I got life. I've like literally never thought for myself. But in that moment, I was like, I got this. I got this. I got this. And my parents went to church one Friday night and they came home and I was gone. I didn't say goodbye. And to this day, for my siblings, that is a hard choice to think back to. 
And for about two years, my father didn't speak to me. My mother was torn between, oh my God, my daughter's now left the house and I don't know, I need to make sure she's okay and not wanting to speak to me. So that was quite tumultuous. And I proceeded to go, well, now that I can do anything, I'm going to do everything. And so it was this like wild stallion approach to life where all of a sudden I was trying to make up for lost time and trying to live out all of the things that I had seen and heard of and or read of, but really had never been able to explore or experience. And I was just trying to do it like immediately. And that freedom was terrifying and also liberating at the same time because I saw that I I could do anything that I wanted and I didn't have to be the good girl anymore, but yet I still found myself wanting to be the good girl outside and the real world. It just, I call it, you know, I wasn't running on the same hamster wheel anymore, but I was still running on a hamster wheel. It was just a different color. It's interesting that you say that because in the previous episode, I interviewed motherhood studies sociologist, Dr. Sophie Brock, and she talks about how all of us unknowingly live in a tank. Imagine like us living in a fish tank and we're all the fish swimming in the tank. And in the center of the tank is a guard tower and the guard is there. But after a while, the fish start policing themselves so the guard can go and take a long lunch break or even retire. And he's not needed or she's not needed anymore because we continue to police each other. And most insidiously, we continue to police ourselves. Okay, so if I say so myself, how cool is this episode and this woman? (laughs) I want to bring Louisa back in just a moment to explain what her daily process is for self-creation now as a 40-year-old woman looking back. So what I'm relieved that she shares with us is that she never steps out of the good girl energy. It stays in us. It's part of us. We cannot have it surgically removed. It doesn't disappear with a course or a magic pill or any other thing that your finger might be hovering over the buy now button. It doesn't work, folks. It's deep, daily, inner work that keeps coming back and back and back. And I'm so glad that she's authentically and honestly sharing that with us. So I'm curious how Louisa practices that as a technique, because I think this will be a torch in your own journey for those dark periods. How, Louisa, do you go from being good girl to being sovereign woman. Oh, I love that phrase from Monique DeBose's episode. How do we do it? So to me, sovereignty implies a level of consciousness and awareness to now, to the moment. And to your point about it being very much a practice and not a destination. Like there has not been, nor do I think there ever will be a moment where I wake up and I'm like, I am 100% unequivocally free from perfectionism, from hustling for my worth. Like those conditioning hooks go deep, 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 deep. And For those of you listening at home, there's some sort of hook that you know you're going, oh, heck yeah. Like I I get that. That hook is 
deep. And I'm here to tell you, you will not get to a place where it is no longer gone. That desire actually creates the persistence of it. My desire to be free from my perfectionism, my desire to be free from it. And like, I want it so bad. I'm like, what do I need to do? And what coach do I need to work with? And what do I need to say or do or work on myself so that I can be free? And it's like, no, it's noticing it when it comes up, looking at it with love, with compassion, with, and, 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 and taking self-forgiveness and applying it to myself and go, oh, that's just me unconsciously creating instead of sovereignty, sovereignly creating. That's me in autopilot. Oh, that happens. Okay. And sometimes even chuckling at it. I like to say that the sound of acceptance is laughter. When we can chuckle at ourselves and go, oh, <laughs> go again doing that thing that I do when I'm trying to get things right and when I'm trying to be perfect. Okay, Louisa, that's really funny. And then we can get back to who am I and who I am is who I say I am, who I create myself to be. Just before this episode, I have a series of it's, it's like, it's, I call it my sovereign creator manifesto, interestingly enough. And the first line of it is I am a sovereign creator and I create powerfully, positively, and with purpose. And it's those moments where I go, oh, there I go again, doing that thing. And I get all crunchy with myself. The rewiring of my psyche occurs when I can love myself in that moment above all else. Not when I'm in the bubble bath or I'm feeling so happy and I'm floating around and I'm like, I love myself. No, it's those moments where the last thing on earth that I want to do is love myself is have the courage to go. I am a sovereign creator and I create powerfully, positively, and with purpose. I am worthy as I am. And I go through sometimes two of them, sometimes five, sometimes all 26 of the statements. And I remind myself who I am. Sometimes even one is enough to bring me back to the present moment. And I go, oh, what do I want to do now? Well, Duh, I want to do this. This is sovereignly creating. This is embodied. This is Louisa now, not Louisa at seven or Louisa at 17, afraid and scared and going, I don't know where to go and what to do. This is Louisa at 40, embodied and present in her life, choosing to step into the next moment consciously with love and with awareness and with intention. This idea of creating yourself and creating an alternative reality for yourself to live into because you know that conditioning no longer serves you is incredibly powerful. One of my favorites is I am worthy and deserving of the life I have. I am that each moment opens my eyes to the depth of my worth. I am that I compete with no one and I compare myself to no one. I am better than no one and no one is better than me. And that one really, 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 every time that I say it, it probably brings me back most powerfully to the present moment because not just growing up, but societally, there's this embedded hierarchy. If you're, if you're in the corporate world, 
it's there. It's everywhere. There's my boss and there's this and direct reports and org charts and there's a guy on top and a girl on top and everybody's down from there. So there's this, this sense of I'm either above or below other people when the truth is we all walk this path of life shoulder to shoulder. We all have limiting beliefs. We all have the opportunity to create ourselves powerfully moment to moment. We all have choice in how we choose to bring our life to life. (laughs) These are essentially sentences, right? And we're all, so I'm going to give you a little play on words. We're all living a sentence, all of us. It's all invented. It's all invented. I simply choose my sentence. I choose it via the words that I breathe life into. To me, these words are stronger than gravity. Because if we were to go to the moon right now, we wouldn't have gravity the way it is here on earth, but I'd still have my thoughts. I'd still have my thinking. So to me, these statements are not just sentences, although they are, They're literally how I create myself every day. And when I read them, I feel there's a, there's a, there's a difference, a a physical difference in my body when I read them out loud to myself. I love that. And I think this is something that all of us are capable of doing. I mean, my practice is similar. It's between waking up and between getting up to have a pee and picking up my phone, there's that little gap of, I don't want to start the day by lying in bed scrolling. And sometimes yes. I fall for it, but I thought at least before I do that, I need to speak myself into the world today. And I want to remind myself that I am soft power. I don't need to be a bulldozer. And this actually shows up when I face different challenges during the day, that message just kind of floats down. Like if I'm feeling myself getting all squinched up or irritated or backing away from speaking something that needs to be said, that little line kind of pings in my head, like, oh, I'm soft power. Yeah. And then it, it helps me to be differently rather than going on my programming of, I need to do, you know, I need to be a good girl. I need to, be seen and not heard. Uh, Don't rock the boat. Don't make a scene. um, Don't expect too much. All of that stuff that's always available to me, unless I create a feasible alternative that can at least compete with it. Is there anything else that you've thought of in the meantime of how you've stepped out of good girlness more of the time? What comes up is a successful day these days, because it is a practice. Levity is key. And creating myself intentionally is essential. When I get to the end of the day, I go, what is success to me? Like I constantly ask myself, what is success? What is success? And these days in this moment, a successful life, a successful day, let's just make it about a day, is when I've managed to love myself one more time then judge myself because all that all I do every day is judge, 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 judge. And if I can judge, if I judge myself 50 times, but I love myself 51 times, 
success. That's, that's a successful life. That's a successful day. So being a sovereign woman is not ever really being free of this. It's the ability to laugh at ourselves, to love ourselves, and to intentionally and persistently create ourselves day by day. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Louisa, I ask every guest to leave a brick of wisdom. It could be a word. It could be a sentence. It could be a quote. It could be a mantra. What would you leave with our listeners today? This is a quote that I've carried in my heart for a few years and I keep coming back to it. And I think now in 2021, more than ever before, where the last year and a half has for some people been the most challenging year and a half of their entire life. And we're uncertain about what's going to happen and what's going to be and what's the new normal and all these things looming into the in the future, I keep coming back to this one quote that is so true for me. And hopefully, if you're listening, you see where this is true for you, that the best way to predict the future is to create it. I know that because these episodes are short, people are going to want more Luisa Milano in their lives. And where should they go to get more of you? The best place to start is my website at luisamilano.com. And where I have the most fun playing is on Instagram. And that is Luisa Milano Coaching. And you should head over there, not only for her wisdom, but for her absolutely adorable dog, obviously. We're dog, we're dog people on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, he's featured frequently. He's featured frequently, exactly. Thank you so much for playing with us, Louisa. Thank you for having me, Mandy. I love you so much. This was beautiful. Mm, thank you. I love you too. Big hug. Who do you know who would benefit from Louisa's wisdom? Please share this episode. As ever, I'm so glad that you're here and I look forward to playing with you again next week. This is Mandy Leto signing out for Enough, the podcast.